Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to the book of Colossians. This is actually the last sermon in Colossians. We've been at it for more than half a year. We're Colossians 4, 2 to 6. So next week I begin a series uh, very unlike what I normally do. I'm not going to preach a book, but maybe 17 or 18 sermons on passages that are misquoted and misunderstood by evangelicals. I'm going to tell you what the first sermon is. Please don't call out the answer. In the first sermon, someone called out the answer and they were wrong. And you don't exactly know what to do about that. Excommunicate that. Please lead that person out. Uh, But the first sermon actually is, are all sins the same in the eyes of God? That's a lot more nuanced a question than at first it may appear. That's the only theological sermon. The rest are actually exegetical from various passages. But today we're in Colossians 4, 2 to 6. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, the epistle to the Colossians has been rich. It's taught us many things. It's impacted our lives. As James tells us, we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers as well. And so Father, take your inspired and errant word in the last 20 or 30 weeks as well as today and allow it to transform our lives, to change us for our growth, our betterment, your great glory. Father, guide my words that I would say what is right. Give me wisdom not to say foolishness, or if I do, give everybody wisdom to ignore that. Lord, speak to us today, we ask, in the name of Christ, amen. Steve Farrar wrote a book, Point Man, and in that book, he talked about a guy named George McClowski. Now, George, when he first got ready to get married, he decided that he would dedicate one hour every day to pray for his immediate family. And so from 11 in the morning till noon, he was going to pray. He initially started just praying for himself and his wife, and Then when he had two daughters, he prayed for them. And then when they had children, he prayed for them. And when they had children, he prayed for them. So he prayed for himself. He prayed for his wife. He prayed for his grandchildren, or his children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren. He believed that the world was a difficult place. He believed that temptations were real. And he wanted God to do something supernatural in the life of his family. Just pause for a moment. Just because we pray for our kids doesn't mean they're going to turn out all right. Just because we have a God-centered home doesn't mean that everything will go as we plan. That's a fallacy. To believe that if we are godly and we have a God-centered home, our kids will be God-centered. That's more often than not, but it's not a statement that is always true. He knew that, but he prayed, believing that God would do the miraculous. 
And so his marriage was good. And the offspring of his marriage were two daughters. The two daughters actually married two pastors. So they went into vocational ministry. Again, let's pause for a moment. All of us are in ministry. A few of us are in vocational ministry. Some are sent out into a world that is desperately lost and needing Christ. Where you are planted is where you, I, we ought to minister. We're all in ministry. But his two daughters and his two son-in-laws were in vocational ministry. And to them, God gave four daughters and a son. All four daughters married pastors. And the son also became a pastor. I guess it became their family business, right? They were all in the ministry. The next generation, the two oldest went off to college together. They were cousins. In their sophomore year, they decided their professions. One of them decided after college he would go to seminary and he would be a pastor. The other was going to break tradition. He decided that after college he would go to graduate school and eventually he would go get a PhD in psychology. You know something about that man. You probably read some of his parenting books, maybe on the thousand stations that had his daily broadcast, you listened to James Dobson. And so here is a man named George, who before he gets married, decides he will spend from 11 in the morning till noon every day, praying for his wife, his children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren. No promises given in scripture, yet God moved mightily in the power of that prayer and the prayers that were uttered. And many of us have been impacted because of that prayer. Well, today we're talking a little bit about prayer. Verse two will say this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, a word that almost always is coupled with the return of Christ, that is anticipate the return of Christ with thanksgiving. But it's not just prayer that the text is gonna call us to. It's gonna call us to walk powerfully before the Lord in a kingdom-minded way. Let me just read verses five and six. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech also be gracious, seasoned with salt. Salt gives flavor, salt preserves, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As we look at the text, we're called to prayer, steadfast prayer. We're called to thankful prayer. We're called to anticipatory prayer, believing that God can do what only God can do. In addition to that, you and I are called to walk in a manner that impacts the world for God's kingdom. As I thought about this, I thought of a gal one morning. She got up a little bit late, you 10.30 service people. She got up a little bit late and uh, she was a little behind the eight ball and she quickly took a shower and she headed off and it just seemed like one of those days where she hit every red light and the blood was rising within her and it just wasn't going well. And then she got behind a truck that just seemed to go so slow and as they approached a, a light, it was yellow. He didn't go through it. 
Have you ever had one of those days? And she couldn't believe it and she was mad and she rolled down her window and she laid on the horn and she swore a blue streak at this poor guy who was in front of her because she was late. Well, a few moments later, she found an officer right next to her and the officer signaled her to go to the side. So she pulled over and said, uh, what can I do for you, officer? He said, uh, registration and license, ma'am. He then went back and checked something out and then came back and said, okay, ma'am, I'm sorry for the inconvenience, all is well. She said, well, what was this about? He said, well, I saw how you reacted to that truck. I saw you swearing and laying on the horn and on the back of your car, it says, what would Jesus do? And another bumper sticker said, I love my church. I just assumed you stole the car. probably a fictitious story. But we understand what that is like. Both illustrations remind us to be steadfast in prayer, anticipatory in prayer, thankful in prayer, and then to live out kingdom values. Let's pick up and actually read the text. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech also be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Prayer is among the best ways that you and I ought to use our mouths. And here we are told to be steadfast in prayer. The verb here, steadfast, actually has a prefix, pro. It's kind of like underlining, highlighting, bolding. The idea is that we ought to be steadfast in prayer and we ought to continue to pray. Pray, prayer warrior, pray. In fact, this word means prior prayer. It means anticipate how we need God's spirit to show up in us. Pray that God's spirit would show up. Prior prayer, and then we perform for God's kingdom. Maybe that's what it was this morning for our musicians, our singers, those who are running PowerPoint. Maybe they got up and spent some time in prayer, remembering that this is for an audience of one, Galatians 1, 8 to 10, and that they're just leading us into the throne room of the Lord, prior prayer. Maybe it's when you and I have a connection care group. We have a small Bible study. Maybe we're teaching uh, women of real devotion, word, or maybe a men's Bible study, a mixed couple, maybe working in the nursery and in anticipation of what God is going to do, even among the smallest of children, we ask God to do what only God can do, and there's prior prayer. Maybe it's before we go off to work. And we remember that we're going to rub shoulders with individuals that desperately need to know Jesus. And we ask God to give us the opportunity 
with grace, with conviction, with power to share salvation by faith in Christ alone. Maybe it's one of those situations where we're struggling, maybe a besetting sin in our life, and we ask God, today give me victory Today, allow me to say no to that area of sin, that area of temptation that has tripped me up. Lord, I want you in this area. Pray first. This same word is actually a nautical word. It referred to a ship in which all the cargo was loaded up. The crew was on the ship. The sails were set. The stern and the bow, all of the lines were loosened. It's prior prayer before they go out. And that's what God's telling us to do. We see a great example of this in Acts chapter one, verses 14 and following. We're coming up on Pentecost, which is 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. And the text is in that period of time. And we're 10 days before that. And 120 women and men gather together in the upper room. If my chronology is right... They're there for about 10 days and they're praying that God would do what only God can do, a mighty work. And you remember it's Peter's first recorded sermon and and it goes so incredibly well that 3,000 people come to Christ. We're given 12 different nations and each one hears the gospel in their own language all from one mouth. God does what only God can do and I don't think we give the credit to Peter It's obviously an act of God. In response, 10 days, 120 women and men praying prior that God would show up, that the nations would hear, that people would respond, and 3,000 come to Christ. That is steadfast prayer. Steadfast prayer is difficult because our minds wander, and the text is telling us, keep praying, prayer warrior, keep praying. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've done that. I've been praying for a long time. And my spouse is still an unbeliever. My spouse is still hardened to the gospel. Keep praying. Take a long view. Maybe for others, it's a wayward child or grandchild and you've been praying and you say, Lord, nothing's happening. But we don't know that. We don't know how God has used our prayers, maybe to prevent that child from taking five more steps away from the Lord or doing something even more detrimental with her or his life. We don't know if God is bringing someone into their life that they'll hear the gospel, someone that will help them to be transformed into a new creature in Christ. Pray, prayer warrior, pray. Some of you are facing some pretty significant health issues. It might be yours, it might be a spouse. It might be a grandchild. As I look out in each of the services, I see individuals I've been personally praying for that are facing pretty significant issues. Pray, prayer warrior, pray. The great physician can do beyond what we can ask or imagine. And we've got to believe that he might. That he might hear that prayer in a way that changes the direction of someone's health. 
for the rest of their life. Pray, prayer warrior, pray. Maybe it is that besetting sin or an addiction. And every day you wake up and, man, you want victory from that sin. You want to overcome that addiction. You really do. And others have doubted you. Others have said enough is enough. And don't realize the struggle that you're facing. Continue to pray. Continue to work. Get the help that comes alongside, that encourages you to take the next step in your walk with Jesus. Or pray for someone else who is struggling with a besetting sin or an addiction. Pray, prayer warrior, pray. Believe that God can do something. The text is calling us to steadfast prayer. Steadfast prayer is so important to Jesus that two of his parables, Luke 11 and Luke 18, are both about it. Steadfast prayer. I think of Dr. Martin Luther. The year was 1540. He's a great German reformer. You know him. And he had a friend, Friedrich. It was actually his assistant. And Friedrich was really sick. He was dying. And so he wrote Dr. Luther a letter. No guarantee he would even have the strength to get through writing the letter, but he wrote it. And he thanked Dr. Luther for the years of investing in his life and the years of investing in the church and said, I'm about to go to heaven. I'm about to meet Jesus. And Dr. Luther read the letter. And you get such a letter and you have the opportunity to respond. I wonder what you would write. I know what I would write. I would thank the person for the years of service and I would talk to him about heaven and where they're going, but not Dr. Luther. Dr. Luther is a man of prayer. He's a man of God, but he's not a gentleman. He's not. And we actually have Luther's response. I'm going to read some of it to you. I command thee in the name of God to live. Because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will. May my will be done because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Amen. That's kind of bold. That's kind of rash. And that letter, we still have it today, was handed to Frederich at a moment in which he could no longer talk. He could barely breathe. And from that moment on, Dr. Luther got on his knees and prayed that Frederick would be restored to health. And he was. He was fully restored to health and lived six more years and outlived Dr. Luther by two months. That's a historical fact. We have all the documentation of that. Does God always respond that way? No. In fact, I believe that if God had said no to Dr. Luther, Dr. Luther would have said, thy will be done. I believe that Dr. Luther would believe that we ought to believe that God inhabits the prayers of his people, that God responds to the prayers. But sometimes God sovereignly says, no, I have a superior plan and we're gonna work that plan. There are other times in God's sovereignty that he allows a new direction to take place in response to the prayers of his people. Luther knew both. 
And he blessed God to do both. Pray, prayer warriors, pray. Be steadfast, be expectant in prayer. I don't want to be like the little boy who one night when he was going to bed with his mother said, dear Lord, bless mommy and daddy and give me a new bike, amen. And his mom was a little shocked and said that was inappropriate. Besides, God can hear just fine. The little boy said, I know, but Nana can't and she's in the next room. (laughs) Pray boldly. Pray expectantly. Ask God to do what only God can do. And be watchful. That's what verse 2 says. Be watchful in prayer. That's that word that is always coupled with the return of Christ. In my prayers, in my life, I want to be watchful, expectant, that God might catch me, that Jesus might catch me if he returns in my life, doing things, saying things, praying things that are honoring to God. Be watchful and with thanksgiving. In addition, when we pray, we are to pray for kingdom advancement. Let me read verses three and four again. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul is in Rome. I think this is his first imprisonment. I believe chronologically he will have two imprisonments. In this imprisonment, he is asking God that the word would go forth, that the power of the mystery of Christ, the gospel would go forth. And in this imprisonment, he will write Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. And the word of God will go forth. In this imprisonment, and perhaps in the next, chronology is a little bit tough, in the next one I think he will die, he will see the opportunity to testify in front of Felix, the governor, Herod Agrippa I, the puppet king. He will, according to Philippians 1, preach before the entire praetorian guard, Many Christians will be strengthened in their faith, Philippians 4, and many others as well. He's praying that in the midst of imprisonment, God may allow the word to go forth. Think about that. If you've been in Rome, perhaps you've gone to the Mamertine prison. It's near the Palatine in a church. If you go there, you can go down where he was a prisoner, there's now a set of stairs, but it used to be they would lower the prisoner on a rope. My memory doesn't serve me, but probably 12 to 14 feet down, and you would just go there to die. There were no amenities in Mammer time. They didn't bring you food, they didn't bring you water. You had to have family or friends come. If you're in that situation, if I'm in that situation, and we have the opportunity to ask a prayer request, what are we going to ask? Get me out of here. Beam me up, Scotty. I mean, get me out of this place. And remind the, the saints to bring me food and water so that I might be rescued. You remember how Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 1. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, I don't even know if I'm going to go on living or not. But because of you, I think I'm probably going to live. 
Paul doesn't know. This is the situation. And what he asks in that prayer request is not that he gets food, not that he gets water, not that he gets released, not that he's treated well. He's saying, may the word of God go out powerfully. May I be faithful. May I preach the mysteries of Christ. You see, Paul believed in expectant prayer. He breathed in thankful prayer, steadfast prayer, sliding into a life transformed that he might do ministry even in prison. But it's not just the praying, it's the acting. This is where that gal got it so wrong. She had the bumper sticker. What would Jesus do? I love my church. But on that particular day, we can relate. On that particular day, her sins got the best of her. And Paul says, pray that that doesn't happen to me. Pray that it doesn't happen to us, that we live in such a way that the kingdom is advanced, not only through our prayers, but also through our actions. Paul puts it this way, verses five and six. Walk. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Walk in wisdom. Make the best use of time. It kind of reminds me of the psalm that Moses wrote. We may not realize Moses wrote a psalm. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This word... This idea of allow me to walk in such a way that the kingdom would be advanced, it's actually a word out of the agora, out of the marketplace. Now, I don't like to shop. I just don't like to shop. All right, I do like to shop for golf stuff, but the rest is just a waste of time. So if Betty Ann and I are going shopping, I'll look for a husband chair. Every store has got to have one. If it doesn't have one, it doesn't. It's not a sure uh, store I want to go in. Sometimes I'll say to Betty Ann, you know, honey, take as long as you want. I'm just going to stay in the car. I know you would think better of me, but that's what I do. But if I do shop, I kind of observe what's going on. So I've been in Aldi like once or twice or maybe 10 times. I don't know. I'm not a shopper. But if you go into Aldi, they have these like these special purchases, right? Have you ever been there? And a special purchase is like, it has nothing to do with a grocery store. I mean, it might be a barbecue in the middle of a grocery I mean, it's strange what these special purchases are. And if you see it, you can't go home and discuss it with your spouse and then come back because they only bought four of them and they're already gone. <laughs> you have to seize the day, carp diem. That's the word Paul uses. He says, when you're in the marketplace and you're walking along and, and you see a need, don't say to yourself, I wonder if I ought to get involved. You know, I'm already kind of committed today. And well, I'm going to go home and fast and pray about this for the next three weeks. Paul says, no, no, no. Walk in such a way that you minister to others. Walk in such a way that you see a need. And then go ahead and, and carve diem, seize the day. In addition to that, he says, guard my mouth. Season my mouth with salt. Now we use that phrase a little bit differently, don't we? We talk about salty language. 
And that might be invective language. It might be language with some four-letter words, but that's not how they would use it. Salt was a preservative. Lord, allow me with my mouth to preserve society. It's also a flavoring. Lord, with my mouth, allow me to flavor the conversation with you. Allow me to draw the conversation back to you. Allow it to be salt preserving, flavoring. Allow me to use my life for your kingdom. So Paul ends the text part of Colossians. And he says, Jeff, be steadfast in prayer. Be expectant in prayer. Be thankful in prayer. Be steadfast. Just pray and believe that I can do what I can do. Have a long game. Pray, prayer warrior, pray. But Jeff, that's not enough. Whatever circumstance you're in, I'm in prison, Paul says. Whatever circumstance you're in, ask that the word of God may go out. That you may speak boldly the mystery of Christ, salvation by faith in Christ alone and testify to me and walk wisely. Walk with wisdom. Seize the day. Don't just go through the day and do the things that you want to do. Don't just go through the day and fulfill your obligation at work. Carp diem, look out in the agora, the marketplace. See the opportunity to serve someone else that's not self-serving in any way. And don't assume that if you just pass by and you can come back and do it again later. No, seize the moment. It's like one of those special purchases, Jeff, at Aldi. It's here for a moment and gone. Seize the day. And then use your voice as a flavoring of Christ, as a seasoning of Christ, as a preserving influence in a morally decaying society. That's what God is asking you, me, us to do. That's what he's calling us to do from the beginning of the book to the end. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you for the richness of Colossians. Father, without a doubt, there are things that we need to put into our lives, different for each of us. And we ask, Father, that you would remind us of a lesson or two or four throughout this series and take those lessons to heart and impart them not only in our head but in our hearts and transform us. Father, we don't want just to know the word. We want to live the word Father, change us and then use us to change this world, not in an arrogant or haughty or prideful way, but truly wanting your will in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our places of employment, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our country, and in our world, which is all yours. Use us, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen.